What if your faith could become more than just a story? What if your faith could be as gentle as a dove and as wise as a serpent? What if your faith could become as bold as a lion? What if your faith could become lethal? My name is Blake Harris, and I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Michael Knight. And here on the Lethal Faith Podcast, we're here to give your faith some lethality. Guys, welcome back to the Lethal Faith Podcast. I am excited to be back in here, and we're going to be talking about one of my favorite subjects today. Uh, We are going to be talking about revival, right? And so everybody loves this word. Matter of fact, uh, I've always loved this word. I, I didn't use this word for quite some time, though, because... It seemed like everywhere you went that everybody was talking about, oh, we got revival going on our church. And then two weeks later, there was nothing ever really happening, right? So I kind of distanced myself from that word because because of things like that, right? But over time, uh, churches in America, our church uh, here in uh, small town America, we begin to experience or, or begin to see the need that we have to have a revival for America. It's the only way. Amen to that. And one of the things that we're going to talk about today is really specifically adolescence role in revival in the United States. Um, I was telling Blake before we got started today, um, back in the eighties when I was a youth pastor, I used to youth pastor mega churches and had 700 kids at one place and 500 at another. And anyway, um, I used to quote this this quote, 18 out of the, uh, eight, uh, out of, um, excuse me, 18 out of the 25 major revivals in the history of the United States were started by young people. Well, I quoted that in the beginning of my second doctorate, a PhD at the University of Birmingham, And my chair, who is also the dean of our school, looked at me and said, oh, really, where did you get that? And I thought, well, I know exactly where I got that. So I went back, started looking, and I went back to Winky Prattney, where I swore the the, the quote came from, and it did not come from Winky Prattney. And I searched and searched and searched and searched, and I could not find the origins of that quote. But I knew in my heart it was true. That doesn't work too well in a PhD. <laughs> you know, I know in my heart this is true. They, they don't accept that. So what I did is I went back and looked at 31 revivals in the United States, and out of 31, 31 of them, somewhere between 30 and 31 of them, actually were sparked by young adolescents. In other words, teenagers sparked the Great Awakenings. And I began to realize that in the beginning of the word adolescent with G. Stanley Hall who is the father of the term adolescence. He is the father of the American Psychology Association. He was a professor, I think, at Yale or Harvard. And um, James, um, oh, uh, uh, William James, James uh, I think it's William James, 
who wrote a book on religious experiences, all of these men in the early days of the concept of adolescence actually used adolescents who were touched by God as they studied the effects of religion on adolescence from kids who were touched in the first or the second great awakening, wow. the second great awakening, which I find fascinating. So what I want to do is kind of take a tour between this podcast and the next one, and then the third one, we're going to actually look at some great details on how revival actually took place and some of the things that happened, especially, um, uh, of course, the Azusa Street Revival. However, way before that, at the turn of the century, 100 years before the Azusa Street Revival, there was a revival of literature that actually founded a textual community where kids became part of the church. And most people know nothing about it. Very few people, Blake, even know about Dr. Francis E. Clark of the Christian Endeavor Association, yeah. who was winning a hundred thousand, adding a hundred thousand people to his movement a month before radio, before television. Which is, I find, incredible. Astronomical, and he was a godly man because every denomination that has a youth department owes what he did to their denominationalism. And the truth is. Early denominations in the uh, late 1800s stole his stuff and called yeah. it their own. So let's go look at one of the first revivals. One of the first revivals most people are unaware of. There was this Dutch uh, reform revival in around 1726 in New Jersey. And uh, New Jersey and our New York used to be called New Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. And anyway, it was the very early days of colonial Americanism. And this young pastor who was uh, ordained at 26 named Theodore Freeling, uh, uh, Freelingheiser, Freelingheisen. And he actually started pastoring a church, and he uh, had a heart for revival, had a heart for a young men and women, and he worked a lot with a guy named William Tennant. William Tennant uh, actually... New Latin, Greek, taught mm -hmm. a bunch of young men and women. You have to yep. realize in those days, Blake, if you, went to, if you went to college at Harvard, you were probably around 14 when you went. <laughs> There's no way I could have survived college <laughs> yeah, no, at 14. 14. <laughs> yeah, I think about my son, he's 14. He's really smart, but I wouldn't send him to Yale right now if my life depended on it. Um, it just, it's just crazy thought. But back then, it was normal. And so William Tennant who was uh, taking college kids, training them for the ministry in the Presbyterian Church, was really good friends with uh, Freelandheisen, and then George Whitfield was involved with them. And so yep. these names, everybody knows George Whitfield, yep. but these names, Freelandheisen and uh, William Tennant, are not really well known today as being the spawn of the First Great Awakening. Yeah, you know, I, I know who William Tennant is, right? But today, you know... When you, when you showed this to me, Freelingheisen is the, this is the first time I've heard of this man, right? I, I know William Tennant, right? The Log College, yeah. right? And all those things. I, I knew those things, but then I was like, who's this little pastor? Here? Yeah. Well, this little pastor is what William Tennant said was the spawn of the First Great Awakening. And Jonathan Edwards alluded to it in some ways that he was really responsible. You know, this guy was known uh, he was born in 1691, and he stressed that you had to have a tangible religious experience. And what he would do is he would train young men. Now, yep. you have to understand the term young man or young people. That usually went, uh, that was between 16 and 18 years of age back in, in there, especially yep. at the turn of the century 
in the 1900s during the Azusa Street Revival and the 1800s uh, preceding that in the Holiness Movement. But this Freelandheiser um, actually uh, was a uh, considered to be the first American revivalist. His son went on to start Rutgers University. Wow. William Tennant's Log College is the foundation for Princeton University. Yep. And so, so many of the revivals in the first century was based on young men and women coming to mm-hmm. a knowledge of Jesus Christ around the age of 14, 15, these college students. And then it was also heavily involved in starting almost all of the American colleges we have today in universities. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're talking about Ivy League colleges, you know. <clears throat> I mean, this is big-time colleges. And I always find that fascinating, right, especially in uh, as America sits today, right, uh, a, a lot of the times – in revivals uh, or, or in America, per se, when we say we won't have a revival, they, they almost have shunned uh, intellectualism when it comes to things like that. But way back then, they're saying, no, you need to embrace that, right? Because intellectualism helps you understand the Bible, helps you understand uh, how God speaks to us and things like that. It allows you to interpret the Bible correctly, right? So I always find that fascinating, right? Um Either way, it's one of those things. I'm fascinated by the subject. I'm, one of my new books that I'm working on uh, for the next two years is going to be a, uh, a book on the role of Western Kentucky in the Second Great Awakening. Yeah. So if you take the First Great Awakening, which Blake just said is rooted in intellectualism, academia, but also waking people up to a personal religious experience, yeah. waking people up to experience God. Uh, Jonathan Edwards preached monotone, uh, and people grabbed the pew because they were f- afraid they were going to fall into hell. Man, that is incredible. I've, that's one of the most <laughs> fascinating stories to me about that. And so you got the First Great Awakening, which was influenced by uh, intellectualism and rooted in reaching young people. Uh, and that was the spawn of that revival. If you look at the details that are often not mentioned uh, verbally because we underestimate the role of adolescents and children, uh, during that period of time and in our writings, but mm-hmm. we see them conspicuously. And then you look at the Second Great Awakening that was also involved with adolescence, and it was also a benevolent movement. It's where we get uh, uh, child labor laws. It's where we get abolitionism. It's where mm-hmm. we get a lot of uh, a benevolence, uh, uh, laws against alcohol, the temperance movement, uh, women's rights to vote, all of that's came. So if we could take the, the, the best of both of those revivals, mm-hmm. I believe the best of the, both of these revivals are going to be what will usher in a third great awakening. And I yeah. believe until the Lord comes back, that's possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> well, Blake, tell us about the second revival in America. Yeah. So uh, second revival, of course, is the first great awakening from 1734 to 1760. Right. It says that uh, <clears throat> we had a, a, the halfway covenant act come out of this. Doctrinal purity, of course, Jonathan Edwards, which we just spoke about, um, and, and that's the first Great Awakening, right? And I, I find this really fascinating about this is that George Whitfield really wasn't involved uh, at this point in time because if you know anything about this, you have Jonathan Edwards who was kind of in the north part of the colonies and George Whitfield was in the southern part of the colonies, right? Well, after Jonathan uh, Edwards preached his message, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, it says that George Whitfield began to come north and he said that, um, 
George Whitfield began to notice that young people, right, were talking in the streets about how they had to be converted because of Jonathan Edwards' sermon. And I thought, man, it is young people, once again, just speaking in the streets about how to uh, be converted again, right? And so George Whitfield, he, he, that helps uh, connect him back to the movement, so to speak. Well, absolutely. George Whitfield <clears throat> made a huge uh, impact for God in Europe before he came to America as far mm-hmm. as revival is concerned. What's sad is if you go there today in Europe, and, and his, his building that he would preach in is behind the house of John Wesley. Oh, uh, wow. Not too far down the road, and there's not even a mile marker there, not even mm. a historical marker that talks about it. But Blake said something very interesting. He called, He said uh, part of the Great Awakening was the beginning of what's called the Halfway Covenant Act. Mm-hmm. The Halfway Covenant Act was a rule. See, Jonathan Edwards' grandfather was the librarian at Harvard, and uh, they were having trouble with young men and women uh, becoming good disciples in the church uh-huh. because what had happened is their forefathers and their four great-great-grandfathers were the Puritans, yep. and they established America. They paid the price. They buried their loved ones. They uh-huh. suffered through the cold in the winter um, for religious freedom, and uh, they, they gave birth to a generation. They didn't know the sacrifice of that yeah. previous generation and so they started a halfway covenant act, which said you could get baptized and receive church membership with half the covenant of your grandfathers or your great grandfathers. Wow, half the sacrifice. Yeah, that's right. And it was an ab- absolute failure. Yeah, absolute failure. Kids don't respond to pablin religion mm-hmm. or religion with no passion mm-hmm. or religion with no power. They don't mm-hmm. respond to it. They never have. That's right. You know, that's uh, one of my biggest beasts with uh, youth, youth groups in America is give us some pizza and tell them to be quiet and go to your other room. <laughs> well, I agree with what Jonathan Edwards wrote, um, according to the Revival Encyclopedia on page 83, that the revival of Jonathan Edwards, like Blake just said, was chiefly amongst uh, young people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that revival, the Great Awakening, First Great Awakening, was intellectual, uh, uh, astute intellectualism. Um, but it also contained religious experiences like brokenness and laying on of hands and powerful preaching. Uh, Freelandheisen didn't make a lot of friends <laughs> yeah. when he walked into his church as 26 years old and starts laying it out. And he actually put what people accused him of doing, putting a fence around the communion table because he wouldn't let you get uh, take communion if you weren't really saved. And I think this generation really forgets the power of communion in, oh, yeah. in this church because there was actually a coin, and I've got one somewhere in this office, Blake. I've lost it, but I will find it. <laughs> It's a communion coin that you had to have a coin to take a communion. So by the time you get to the Second Great Awakening that took place right down the road here mm-hmm. at Red River, there yep. was three places, Muddy River, Gasper River, and Red River, which is what spawned the Cane Ridge Revival, right. all of which contained powerful outpourings upon the young. Uh, you had to have a coin to take communion. Mm. And you earned that coin, and the pastor would give you as a member the coin. And if you didn't have the communion coin, and you can go to eBay today and buy them. Wow. They're, they're everywhere. But you had to have a, a coin to take communion. So this idea that you could take communion or be part of membership with half the dedication before, 
was something that was an abject oh, failure. Well, I, I find that fascinating because, you know, Paul, he, he talks about, he says, uh, he's talking about laying out some guidelines for taking communion, right? And he says, and, th- and because of this, some of you sleep. Right, which he alludes to that some of the people have, have literally died because they took communion, not knowingly understanding the the sacrifice of Jesus. I find that fascinating. Right, the third revival. And listen, if you're interested in this, this document uh, we'll send it to you for free. Just email us at neverbeforeco at gmail dot com. Okay, um, the second revival took place in 1796, and it was at Yale College. What's interesting is that Yale started because Harvard got too liberal. <laughs> Surprise. Harvard started as a Christian university to train men and women of God to preach the gospel. Right. It's actually still part of their model if they haven't changed it. You know, they're, mm-hmm. is that what you call it? The model? Yeah. Um, and so Yale College in 1796, uh, you had an involvement with adolescents, 26 students, and you got to realize the average age of a student at Harvard and Yale during this period of time was around the age of 14. Which is amazing to me. Yeah. And and these 26 students started an organizational campus called the Moral Society. And it discouraged profanity and immorality and drinking. And by 1800s, half of the students were members at Yale University. It laid the foundation for four revivals that occurred on this campus. So a wow. major revival took place amongst adolescents, college kids, at Yale around 1796. Yeah, you know, which it, it goes right into the Second Great Awakening, right, which was from 1794 to, to 1840, right? And it says that uh, the first reports of the effect of the revival were upon the young, right? Then at Yale, like what we just talked about, and other colleges, um, which is really, really cool. So we find ourselves at the Second Great Awakening, 1794 to 1840, in New England, which the Yale College revival was part of that. It was a Mm -hmm. precipice to that. And um, after ministers met, the first reports were the effect of revival amongst the young during the Second Great Awakening. And then you'll see Yale and other colleges that were started, like Harvard, for the uh, propagation of the gospel and to train ministers um, you see them exploding in revival all over the world in this Second Great Awakening. And this Second Great Awakening also led in um, the establishment of abolitionism. It led in the establishment of uh, uh, no social drinking. It led in the estab- or the temperance move is it, mm-hmm. movement is the proper word. Yep. Women like Phoebe Palmer. Have you ever heard of her? No. Phoebe Palmer was a woman who started having a Bible study and was a, was promoting holiness. And what people don't understand is that the denominations that were forming in the first great awakening, by the time you get to the second great awakening, you see denominations, new denominations exploding, and the old denominations were called the old lights, and the new denominations were called the new lights. Hmm. That is one of the reasons that today they'll call these areas of New York and New Jersey and Connecticut, the burnt over fields because they've had oh. revival and they're burnt over. Wow. And so I'm praying that God puts his flame and starts a fire back uh, all over America again. But in the second great awakening, you see where young men and women had a tremendous revival and it was taking place. From there, it led to Cane Ridge Revival in 1796 to around 1800. 
and a Presbyterian meeting at Crossroads Church in Orange County, a young man stood up and prophesied, stand still and see the visitation of God. Yep. What I find interesting, Blake, and I don't mean to be offensive, but oh. if you go to Cane Ridge, which is where I like to go and pray, because yep. Andrew Barton said, you know, give me revival, let me die. Oh, yeah. And his tombstone is there. The meeting house is still there. It's a mm-hmm. wonderful place to go. Everyone needs to go. But it's almost as if the Christian church, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, that's the Christian church out of Indianapolis, they're almost embarrassed about any manifestations of the Spirit or mm-hmm. any kind of revival aspects that deals with emotionalism. And we could get in neurology, and you need to oh, listen yeah. to our podcast about religious experiences and neurology. But it's almost like they're embarrassed by it. But God moved at the Cane Ridge Revival. Mm-hmm. But there would never have been a Cane Ridge Revival had there not been a revival at Red River. And actually, I need to put Red River in there. Yeah. Um, Red River is uh, about a, a 45 minutes down the road. And uh, there was a man of God that was preaching at uh, a meeting house at Red River. There is actually a replica of this meeting house at Red mm-hmm. River. But he pastored three churches, not just one. Mm-hmm. He pastored Red River, Muddy River, mm-hmm. and Gasper River. Mm-hmm. Now, you can go to Mu- uh, Red River, but you will only see a historical marker for Muddy River or Gasper River, and it's not on the location of the actual events. The other two locations are actually owned by private pro- uh, uh, people who own the property privately. Mm-hmm. And thank God to um, a wonderful lady, uh, Miss Richardson yep. uh, from Russell County, who um, is revered, that's the only word I could use in that area, rightly so, took me to all three of those locations, all two of those other locations. And so a revival took place there, and it was Andrew Barton who was at um, Gasper River who received a touch from the power of God. And Mm -hmm. I I look, as I say that, I can see the hill the church used to sit on. The graveyard is still down at the base of that hill. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, had got touched by the power of God and went back to Cane Ridge and started the Cane Ridge Revival. So there would be no Cane Ridge Revival had there not been a revival in Western Kentucky. You know, I, I find the Cane Ridge Revival very uh, fascinating in its own right is is there's a, 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 a story about Cane Ridge Revival where it said there would be like 16 other men preaching on, on stumps Right, and I find that fascinating that there were that many men there preaching at one time. There's over twenty thousand people at, at certain times that were there to listen to him preach. Yeah, I mean, I, I can think it's like we can barely get one guy to preach, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, but you know, it, the, the the story I'm actually referring to. Now it, that's a good point, Blake. Go what ahead. you just said. I don't mean to interrupt you. No, but go what right you ahead. just said. I never thought about that to just now. The impact of Freeland Heisen or William Tennant to train young ministers, and that's one of my great concerns right now. Yes. The Never Before Project's working on something uh, in regards to that as we speak. But to uh, train young ministers for the gospel, mm-hmm. train them intellectually and train them spiritually. Yes. Uh, I never thought about how the Second Great Awakening received the benefits from the First Great Awakening. Yeah. Hmm. But today, you try to find a pastor. Yeah, that's right. They're very difficult to find, especially in uh, Presbyterian circles or Methodist circles mm-hmm. or uh, uh, more mainline denominations. And even amongst uh, Pentecostal denominations, 
Yeah. The average age is in the uh, 40s or 50s. Yeah, that's right. You know, uh, just made me think about that that one study that come out and it asked pastors to explain what the gospel is, right? And some of those pastors said, well, it's like a, walking through a field of flowers, you know? And I remember thinking, reading that going, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, but, you know, the Cain Render Revival, you know, that, that story I'm referring to, it, it, it literally says that, you know, there were, there were like 16 other men preaching at the same time, right? And it says that, and one man, he would he would wave his hand, and, and hundreds and even thousands of people would fall as dead men at, at one time. It's incredible. Yeah, they Absolutely. would fall out of trees. Yeah, I, I, incredible. And well, were there excesses? Yeah, they oh, would yeah. call it the barking exercise. <laughs> I would call that exorcism. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you I would rather rope the wild than try to raise, raise the, the dead. dead. That's right. Any and yep. so this Cane Ridge revival, like Blakison, had tremendous manifestations of the Spirit, and, mm-hmm. and it was led by young men. It was a young man who stood up and said, stand still and see the visitation of God. Absolutely. And uh, then you've got, in 1806, what's called the Haystack Prayer Meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it started with five college students assembled to pray for missions in Asia at Williams College out in the field. The American missions movement, the fact that America has sent so many people overseas mm-hmm. To, to give the gospel, and now they're sending us missionaries, rightly so. Yeah. But the American Mission Movement was born through this prayer meeting mm. and born through young men and women who had a burden uh, to start revival. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I believe that this, like the, the prayer meetings, that, you know, of course, this is just my own personal, but man, God has just been burning in me for the place of prayer, you know. Uh, but I believe that that's where we're going to go back to is, is where we have old school prayer meetings, you know. That's what I would I call it. Oh, man. Now that reminds me, I think it's March 21st. You need to join us at uh, uh, for the Margaret Justice Institute for Generational Prayer. Yeah, absolutely. Talk about Amherst College. Yeah, a- Amherst College, right? Uh, it says that college students had revival and conversions started by prayer meetings, right? And there were seven distinct revivals, right? Uh, and these were from 1823 to 1831, 1839, 1842, and 1850. Uh, this is really where the, the foundation and holiness, conversions, and prayer were, were, were really the, the, the basis or the foundations of what really happened there. Yeah, it's just what you just said, Blake. It was started by prayer meetings. Yeah. But it was the young who led the prayer yeah. meeting. That's right. <laughs> well, you look at the YMCA, which people uh, don't think uh, much of anymore as being a Christian organization, but the YMCA in 1851 was started, and the U.S. branch started in Boston's Old South Church by Tom Solomon. First established prayer meeting, so the YMCA was started in the midst of a prayer meeting, and the revivals of 1857 to 1858 were closely uh, intertwined, which grew out of a revival of young people in New York's church on Fulton Street at mm. the Dutch Reformed Church in 1856. Wow. Some 500,000 converts Incredible. were added to the national church from the result of the revival of the YMCA. Mm. Absolutely incredible. Uh, you know, and, and that uh, a spawn of the YMCA is the, is the YWCA, right, which is the... Uh, it comes from the Church of the Puritan on, on Union Square, where young women, for a young woman to be a member, they had to be a member of good standing of the evangelical church. And I think that's very important. And 
by evangelical, we mean you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you believe the Bible is the Word of God, uh, you believe the, in return of Christ in some form, either through a parousia, uh, or, which is a rapture, or the literal second coming. And uh, the YWCA, I love reading, and I actually have been to the first YMCA in England. Wow. Which was really interesting. And it was started by the same measures. It was about the conversion of young men and women. And the YMCA does a lot of good, but I'll never forget wanting to baptize a new convert at the YMCA swimming pool at a certain place, and they said no. Oh. And I left thinking, you know, matter of fact, what they said is after we're closed, you can baptize someone. But nobody was in the pool. And I thought, you have fallen from your original purpose. It's they, not about health. It's not about fitness. And all of those things are good. And I'm on a fitness and health kick right now. Mm-hmm. However, uh, Paul said, you know, that that profits you, you know, strength and, and that kind of stuff profits you. But compared to your soul, it profits you very little. Oh, yeah. And so the YMCA still does a lot of good work. But most people are completely unaware of their history and it's how it's based in evangelism, based on discipleship, based on... Hmm. on taking young people and introducing Christ to them. That's right. Most of us, all we know about the YMCA is the village people. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah, I remember because I didn't go to church back then. <laughs> and I was mad at the YMCA because they got mad when the village people sung that song. Oh, yeah. And I thought, you need to be thankful that they're bringing notice to the YMCA. <laughs> that's how screwed up I was when I was 12. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, it, we go on to uh, 1857, right, to, to 1858 in, in New York City, and where the Fulton Street Prayer Meeting, or, or the Great Prayer Awakening, right? And it says, uh, young men, uh, one of the original six, took the meeting from the YMCA to Philadelphia. This revival was lay-driven, so pastors weren't necessarily uh, the leadership of it, per se, along with the YMCA and the Sunday School. Now, let's talk about that for a second. People, and when we get to our third podcast here, I think the third one, maybe the fourth one, when we get to that one, you're going to realize real quick what that word that everybody uh, thinks is antiquated and everyone Mm. thinks of as being just a term. No, 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 no. The word Sunday school was an actual movement that spawned millions of books and pieces of paper yep. and discipleship and actually was the catalyst for evangelism mm-hmm. and denominational formation in the late 1800s. And most certainly in the 1700s, the Sunday school movement exploded and brought about a tremendous amount of evangelism. It was for evangelism uh, because what happened is back then before the child labor laws, the only time a kid could stop and learn because they were working to support the family was Sunday. So they started a school on Sunday. Yep. So uh, we'll get into that later. Um, you know, uh, I've enjoyed talking to you today at Lethal Faith. If you're not getting our newsletter, please email us at neverbeforeco at gmail.com. If you would like one of the documents on the revival and the adolescence effects upon revivals in the United States. We'll send it to you for free at neverbeforeco at gmail.com. Please go to Facebook. Please go uh, soon to YouTube. We do have several things on there. And then also um, to our website at neverbefore.tv. 
and like and share and share these podcasts on Anchor or on Apple because we want to get the message out. We now have dozens and dozens and dozens oh, yeah. of resources. We have several books at Amazon on Amazon.com at, for Dr. Michael B. Knight on proving the Old Testament is history, proving the New Testament is history, how you guard a revival, and a book called The Laws of Community, and how humility is important for charismatics, uh, and a book called When Strong Men Wept. We have new children's book coming out this year, which I'm very excited about, <laughs> teaching children a worldview. And we've got a new book on the revival um, in Western Kentucky's role in it. So I'm pretty excited about that. Absolutely. Guys, don't forget to check out all those resources. And always, thanks for listening. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the podcast today. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and as always, keep it lethal.